Kenny Herzog, what's up, my friend? Oh, well, you know, I am uh, tripping the life fantastic here in my basement uh, because my upstairs area of my house is commandeered by my quarantined son doing his remote learning. And that's what's happening. So let me ask, how do you quarantine a child from adults? Um, we don't have to strictly quarantine ourselves from him. The, uh, the Department of Health guidelines are very nuanced. It's, he had potential exposure to a transportation staffer for, in his district, um, which means he has to quarantine retroactive to a certain date um, that just comes from their math of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us do not have to strict in the household do not have to strictly quarantine just because we live with someone his age who had potential exposure to somebody. So the upshot of it is, it's more that I'm in a different room because being in the same room as him is annoying. So that's- Got you. Yes, okay. <laughs> annoying because of school or just overall annoying? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, this, this, this predates the pandemic, of course, it's ultimately, so it's, uh -huh. It's it's distracting for both of us if he's if if we're in the same space while he's remote learning. Got you. Well, I hope yeah. he's okay. I mean, oh, he's fine. Obviously, yeah, there's no signs or anything. I mean, a bus driver or a transportation worker seems like that's far enough away. That wasn't like a teacher. Then I'd be it, nervous. It wasn't a teacher. It was not uh, someone who he participated in a pile on with. Mm -hmm. um, anyone who's heard me talk about the pandemic knows how seriously I take it. But um, mm -hmm. you know. You just follow whatever Department of Health <laughs> guidelines are and, and trust the process, you know, and be smart and do, you know, he's not, he is not leaving the house until Tuesday or whatever, but um, the rest of us can go out for essential things. So that's, that's what's going on. Well, it's funny because today we're talking about Survivor Series and the annual tradition and the Undertaker. And it's funny that, uh, Whereas the Survivor Series is the annual Thanksgiving Day tradition. It feels like COVID is becoming the winter tradition. It's like, oh, it's that time of year again. We all get inside our house and don't move and don't talk to, don't talk to people close and things like that. Yeah, it's probably prevented a lot of kidnappings. Yeah, probably a lot of things are down, but so a lot of things are up. Things, things are up and down. Yeah. It is, you know, there's a there's an image that comes to mind. Uh, you know, I think I'm not sure if anyone's ever said this before, but I think roller coasters would be an apt metaphor for these times. Yes. You know, I've yes. heard of that, especially the the big the big ones that just kind of like. Are you a roller coaster fan? Uh, no, I think they're the world's worst invention. <laughs> what, do you, what what was the biggest one biggest one you've been on? Honestly, probably one I was on at Rye Playland with my kid before the <laughs> pandemic that was meant for people his age. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, Not even as a kid, you didn't go on? I was the kid who, uh, my best friend since I've been like 14, him and I first really bonded in ninth grade. We went to a school, we went on a school field trip to Great Adventure just to get out of 
the class environment. Neither of us liked amusement parks. And we were the only two kids that didn't want to go on the ride. So we just spent the whole day just kind of roaming around the park, just hanging out and like and talking. And then and then we sort of bonded. So mm. roller coasters led me to a lifelong friendship. That's that's the good news. That's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the reverse of that story. Mm. When I was in college, Great Adventure uh put up a new ride. I wanna say it was King de Cobb. I don't remember exactly what it was. It's been a long time. Uh but they were doing a big like grand opening thing, but the the park wasn't open yet, but they wanted to make it seem open. So they contacted the fraternities and sororities at our school to show up at like 7 a.m. and ride these rides while the local news was there because they didn't want the place to look empty. So we basically had run of the place until it opened. Nothing else was open except this ride, but we rode it continuously for a solid hour and a half. Wow. So like, yeah, so like you would get off and you'd have to like walk back down, get back and got right back on. And that's pretty amazing. Naturally, like none of us like slept. We all drank the night before. It was not the most <laughs> well thought out plan. Did but anyone yeah. vomit? Oh, I'm sure they did. Like after a couple rides, I was like, all right, this feels like enough. But there was like literally nothing else to do in the park. I, I would I was too lazy to even want to wake up for morning sex, let alone go to <laughs> go to a roller coaster. But you guys essentially did the the real life version of um the end of of National Lampoon's vacation just without the hijacking. Yeah, we drove the 40 minutes to ride a ride for a 30-second newscast that I don't even think any of us even watched. Like, I think on that morning, <laughs> no one really saw it. They might have interviewed a couple of us. I don't even remember. There's probably altogether, like, 60 or 70 of us, like, men and women. And then by, like, by the time the park opened, we were like, oh, let's go home. It was, like, 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning. <laughs> that's, I, imagine, I imagine how that's how people feel when they uh, attend church on Sundays. Like, I wouldn't know. But, yes, um, the, the I don't want us to get too off topic, but I as well was featured on a local uh, CBS affiliate story um, in my college town in Albany, college city, I guess, in Albany, where I was part of a pen pal program. We went to see these kindergartners in the nearby city of Troy and meet them as our pen pals and spend the day with them. And so local CBS sort of followed it as a heartwarming story. And the one thing all my friends picked up on when the story was broadcast was you clearly see it. So you could do like a Zabruder film of it. Clearly see me lean over to my pen pal's tray as he's piling his lunch on for the day and take some of his food <laughs> and put it onto my tray. What, was it good? <laughs> I mean, kids' food is always good. <laughs> Do you remember what it was? I don't, but I'm guessing it happened to my chicken tenders. And, yeah, something know. like that. Yeah. <laughs> if it was Thanksgiving Day, that would have been good. Like if, if, the, if the school did the like annual Thanksgiving, like, I, I actually hate that. I, I'm one of those people that hate that where, uh, this special meal is coming Thursday. Therefore, this is our special on Monday. Right. Like, it, that, that ruins it. You're, no, I'm waiting for Thursday. Why am I going to have your terrible, you know, soggy stovetop when the good stuff is coming Thursday? You're ruining it for me. I hate that. Yeah, it, mess, it messes up the palate. Right? Yes, it does. Yeah. So, but we're, we're talking about the Thanksgiving tradition and we're talking about The Undertaker today. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because I didn't want to do this alone. <laughs> No one, no one wants to do the Survivor Series editions of, of a podcast alone. Right. Well, I, I, I want to, I mean, so The Undertaker is going to be his final appearance. Like it's, I think he's done in the ring. Like, I'm not sure, really sure what he's doing. He's not wrestling, but this will be his last, 
his last last ride, the last 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 ride or whatever. He's gonna masturbate to completion in the ring. That's, that's <laughs> yes, what's gonna happen. Come back seven more times. But like a lot of the things that I've seen online are like the best of The Undertaker and all his great moments. So I wanted to talk to somebody about, and now we're not bashing him per se, but we're talking about some of the, the more ridiculous moments of his career, which come over 30 years in the wrestling business. So I think the right. best place. He's, yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's your show. I'm sorry. Uh, you just froze for a minute and I kind of like was like, what happened? <laughs> oh, a bad connection. In the oh, okay. So the best place to start, I think, is um, well, we can talk about our first personal exposures to The Undertaker. Do you first remember when you saw and it doesn't have to be as The Undertaker. Did you see him before that? I wish I had a story like I'm sure people have in Texas where, you know, they saw him at the, you know, the sportatorium annex or something. <laughs> but right. I, it actually was my first exposure to him was prior to The Undertaker. And that's not to score points. I mean, and that's not uncommon because he was in WCW or mm. if, I don't know if it was going, if it was masquerading as sort of um, the presentation of NWA in that moment. But anyway, uh, prior to WWE, WWF, my first exposure, I think we talked last time I was on this show about, you know, AWA on ESPN. Mm. Um, that, that was that was it. I was probably first exposed to Mark Callis, Mark Calloway, whichever he was going under mm. uh, in like 1989, 1988, 1989, mm. thereabouts. Um, and then I distinctly remember him in, yeah, I distinctly remember, distinctly remember the WCW version as well. But it's funny how your mind plays tricks on you. And when wrestling was wrestling and you could just sort of um, succumb to the, to the fantasy of it, when he debuted as The Undertaker, I was old enough to make the connection, but I chose to disconnect. <laughs> mm. um, and I, you know, and it, and it had me, you know, immediately. So that's my little mini arc with The Undertaker. Yeah, I remember him from the WCW days because I was a huge Skyscrapers fan. And right. so the Skyscrapers started as Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious. And then I feel like Spivey got hurt and then was replaced by Mean Mark. And I just kept thinking to myself, where do they keep getting these giant guys? <laughs> it's like they were making giant men in some factory and they just like kept on the skyscrapers like uh, line of guys that just kept coming out, you know? Right, right. It's like, and I remember, you know, we probably like you too. I would look at my dad and other men that like he surrounded himself with be like none of these guys look like that like yeah where uh, how you know where do you think it's true how uh, do they you know rear them on a you know inorganic goon farm right right so <laughs> i mean he had the cool he had the cool look of mean mark but when he gets to the wwe he's the undertaker first he's kane the undertaker yeah, and so he comes in, and I believe so. Survivor Series was his debut. He didn't debut on TV yet, but I feel like, and I might be getting this wrong. I feel like they did a recording of the show, like whatever it was, challenge. So people had seen him first, but that show didn't air until after the Survivor mm -hmm. Series. You know how they would just record all the shows like all over. So whereas fans worldwide he debuted on the survivor series people had seen him before but i thought it was kind of interesting like that seems like the kind of character you want to debut on tv 
I guess they weren't thinking, you know, this was before, you know, raw, right? Mm -hmm. This was, this was when the, I don't think there were that many calculations. <laughs> you know, this was in, this was still in the kayfabe era. This was still when things were fairly, um, uh, when people didn't really understand, most people didn't really understand the way that taped live events for subsequent syndicated airings worked. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just, I just think they had, um, um, they were just one step ahead for the most part of, of, of audience, even the keenest audiences. And no one was doing that Zapruder-like sort of, um, you know, mock-up of, wait a second, he appeared at this live event on this date and that's that's referenced by Cage, uh, Cage Match, whatever that site is. Uh, I'm, not, I'm giving kind of a, a roundabout answer, but um, essentially they could tell you at that time that like, you know what you think you're seeing, you're not seeing. Because this is when we are telling you this was when you first saw it. And so therefore it is true. It's almost like early gaslighting and wrestling. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. He didn't exist before this. You saw him now, all the people in the crowd, you didn't see him. You saw him later. <laughs> right. Exactly. Which is, I'm sure how, you know, um, sure. That's how Jesus worked. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so he makes his debut and he's dead. So he's a dead guy. Mm -hmm. How do you suspend the belief of a dead guy's walking to the ring? This morning, and I don't think my son is going to hear this podcast, so I don't have to worry about this. Um, he was talking about his elf on the shelf with his other remote classmates, and they were all, they all had, the buy-in is there. They're all just sold that like, this is, the, these are the rules. You can't touch them, otherwise this, or you you could do this and this and that, you know? And I just think it's so magical that they, they just, they are in the best sense, sort of ignorant to stuff. Mm. Um, and I just think wrestling was really still being at that point, WWF wrestling was still being marketed for a young audience and a young impressionable audience and if you tell a story in a, in a convincing enough way and uh, and you put enough creative behind it and marketing muscle behind it it just overpowers your senses especially if you're 9 10 right. even 11 12 maybe maybe by the time you're like 14 15 you're like what the fuck you know fuck out of here <laughs> because on i mean on all levels the it's a pretty laughable idea. You know, they're first, they're convincing you, he's a dead guy. He's also works, you know, he, he's got somehow, he's got a mortician walk working with him and he's dead and he's going to kill people. Like what? So <laughs> uh, the, the, the spitball meeting of it, the people you'd think would be like, wait, what? Like even if we passed the sniff test there, but it somehow worked. So, I mean, you know, to his detriment, he really got over the gimmick, but it was a gimmick that shouldn't have worked from the beginning, really. So you say to his detriment. I'm sorry, to his, I'm sorry, I, to his credit. I didn't mean- Oh, to no, and I wasn't trying to, I wasn't yeah. trying to uh, fact check you or, or edit you rather. I just right. uh, was curious what you meant. No, I'm sorry. I should say the, 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 the character itself was to his detriment. Like you're a walking dead guy. Right. But he somehow made it work, and it became this huge thing. Like, right. Do you do you think they saw it being the thing that it became? I'm sure they've talked about this. I'm sure they've said, "Oh, of course," or or the other the other sort of you know soundbite would be to say, "You know, 
that's no part of the remarkable story is that we had no expectations and it's and it exceeded whatever ones we we did um, which is contrary to say no expectations and it exceeded our expectations but um i think they had i do think by historical accounts and just by what was there what really was the resulting uh you know proof that was there on the screen i think they put a little more time into this than some other things where it was just like let's take a flyer you know i don't i think i don't think repo man you know <laughs> engendered the same consideration and i just think they i i you know they saw something in in him as a um as a as a entertainer and a uh and a and, and someone who could carry a gimmick um so that's my best uh assertion right well i think one of the reasons that he did work was because at the time, you know, Hulk Hogan and also Ultimate Warrior, like they, they kind of needed the monster heel to beat. And like he did fit into that category. He was a big guy. He's bigger than Hogan. And, you know, Hogan's going to come in and knock this guy down. So I'm, I'm assuming that's and that's really one of the first times that like his big first big moment was that Tuesday in Texas that no one ever really, you know, that was like such a one-off, like random thing to change a title at that moment. I was like, as a kid, I was like, what? First yeah. of all, I didn't even know what was happening. <laughs> Second of all, it was like, what? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, um, I I, uh, I think maybe that was an early indication that they were going to try and go in a different direction than what had been working for them for a decade and the, and the undertaker was really going to be the kind of litmus test for you know can we start to tinker with with fans expectations of what our product is and anticipate changing tastes and it's funny because then we saw that actually um they went against their own instincts and and in the mid the mid 90s was just a sort of holding pattern of, of second rate cartoonish you know concepts um but i think even before the i think wwf was with something like what you're talking about with that tuesday evening you know starting to um maybe say okay we're ready to do away with some of the the conventions of how of of the business mm -hmm. one of my uh I won't say earliest memories of the undertaker, but one of the things that like really cemented him in my head was, um, do you remember the angle with ultimate warrior when he locks him in a casket? I mean, that's that. Yeah, of course. Yes. So here's why. Uh, and it took me a long time to warm up to the undertaker because of this. So at the time I'm probably like hey, 11, 10 or 11, maybe. And so uh, I love the ultimate warrior don't like the undertaker. I see him lock the ultimate warrior in a casket warrior. Can't get out. You know, they open it up. He looks dead. Everything is there. Uh, I watched that on a Saturday morning and that evening I go to my first viewing. No. Yeah. In my life. Yeah. And it looked probably a little different. So I see a dead person <laughs> for the first time in my life. They're in the coffin that I've also never seen up close. I've only seen coffins on TV. Uh, that night, I did not sleep at all. Mm -hmm. 
So like one of my earliest memories is the Undertaker of like my wrestling memories is the Undertaker and the impact that that had. But I think a lot of it had to do with what happened that evening. <laughs> right, right. That's interesting. I mean, that's 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 an you know it's interesting the way that wrestling can um, you know can mirror what's <laughs> yeah. what what with whatever narrative is going on in your head about um, you know your what your um, at that age, what your questions are about, about new, ex, you know, different new experiences. I mean, that, that's, that's when, when a wrestling story or gimmick, I think is, is working in the broadest sense. It, it does in, in some way um, feel like some kind of representation of something that uh, has felt very personal to you at some point. <laughs> and it's just, it's just blown out, you know? Can you think of anything from uh, when you were a kid that kind of like really, maybe not freaked you out as much as mine did, but like kind of resonated? You were like, oh God, that feels very, very real. Oh, wow. I mean, that one was definitely up there. Um, even I even just remember the way that, you know, Warrior sort of looked sort of smudged and, and sweaty and and, yeah. and soft. Um, uh, that's a good question. Was there one? I'm sure. What about another one that a lot of people always bring up is uh, the Randy Savage snake bite. Oh, that's funny. They really uh, showed the snake just like gnawing on his arm. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, you know, Jake Roberts talks about that. Oh, there, that thing was defag. There was nothing going to get him with that thing. Yeah. Um, now he smacked him for an hour to piss him off before he Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that made an impression. Not as much. I remember ultimately being moved by the conclusion of affecting storylines in that era you know like in this case in the, in the randy savage example you know obviously elizabeth on the shoulder and all that more than necessarily being traumatized by um <laughs> any of its efforts to be incredible incredibly pseudo-realistic um in its depiction of any kind of violence or cults or or anything like that um i was also always as a kid drawn to macabre and hearth and um and, and so i think i just enjoy the spectacle of, of and the danger of that <laughs> when I would see it, um, when I would see it represented in wrestling. But I, I can't remember something like what you're talking about with the uh, unfortunate bookends <laughs> of that Saturday that you had, that's, but that's interesting. Well, uh, one of the interesting things too about The Undertaker is he's, you know, death is his overall theme. And that's not really something you kind of think about, especially when you're watching a wrestling show but you're like, oh, this is a mortician and a dead guy. And oh yeah, ultimately we all die. It's pretty heavy stuff for any young kid to watch. Right. And to be able to eventually have that person, have that character be a hero. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is obviously jumping ahead in, in things, but right. it makes me think too, you know, it we suspend disbelief um, it, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, in music, you know, I was always a fan growing up and by growing up, I don't mean when I was seven, I wasn't that cool. But when I, you know, by the time I was a teenager, I was super into the misfits, right? And the misfits, and I still love the misfits. As a grown man, I still can talk seriously about the misfits and like, and ultimately I'm talking about a band of ghouls. <laughs> I don't really think, and nor do I really think they're ghouls, nor when I was into a band like Typo Negative did I think these guys were actually vampires, but you want, you can appreciate what you're seeing when you're being entertained and you're being, um, and someone's sort of trying to stimulate you and, and arouse your senses, you know, you, you respond to these things that are, um, that 
are tapping into something that you've been deeply curious about and they're and that are giving you some sort of rendering of it and um i just think it's it's psychological and it's visceral and um and cathartic you know yeah so in case he wasn't dead enough wwde did end up killing him and uh it was the angle with yokozuna when he puts him in the coffin and then he shows up on a giant screen and then ascends to somewhere i'm not sure where and it takes a little bit of a break so they killed a dead guy <laughs> yeah what point did i'm trying to remember what point it was kind of tacitly understood that the dead man was just kind of a euphemistic thing or you know that it, that it wasn't meant to be taken literally well i think how they explained it was well i mean storyline wise the the urn is what yeah. held his power and that's what kept him going right so I, maybe he wasn't necessarily dead or if he was he was brought back to life so maybe he had, was one point dead i don't remember if they ever really explained it but so the urn had the power right do you think there was there was they were mocking Christianity or mocking religiosity a bit with, with this? I feel like wrestling mocks everything. <laughs> right, 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 right. Each other, people in the business, people out of the business. So, I mean, there probably was something there. I can't imagine uh, this was written or designed by the most religious of people, <laughs> but they're going by what they remember, you know, when they were kids, because they had some type of, you know, religious background. I, I, I'm trying to think, were there parents groups at the time that were opposed to the to the under the portrayal of the undertaker and its influence on their kids i bet there was i'm sure there i mean i'm, I'm sure there's people that i mean look i just wrote a story yesterday about a woman in um uh, she's in scotland i believe uh her teen daughter died 13 years old dies of many different ailments uh on her gravestone puts a picture of her because she was like a prankster jokester puts a picture of her with the middle finger up <laughs> on the gravestone and then right. like explains everything on the gravestone uh the city council got in contact with her because it offended someone so to answer your question i'm sure in 1992 some parent group was offended by the undertaker or the religious and then when he got into the i mean when they crucified uh steve austin like i'm sure right millions of groups had problems but i'm sure in the beginning there was somebody who had an issue with the undertaker well, by the time they did the whole death, basically death cult stuff with The Undertaker, that was, but they were clearly just appealing to a slightly more mature audience. So, I mean, I wonder if there was as much of a, if there was just people kind of um, willing to uh, just see it as sort of not, not in their purview with those same sort of groups who were trolling around looking for things to, to rage about if they just thought like that's not really that, that that's not gonna really be a per persuasive thing to protest about because people will just acknowledge that it's meant for mature audiences. That's all I'm saying. Right. Well, but before we jump into like, because we kind of like went to the attitude era, before we jump into that, like we should talk about when The Undertaker did become a good guy and he kind of went through this like purple kind of uh, prince kind of phase. And then he had the, well, for medical reasons, he had the thing covering his face because uh mabel broke his eye socket <laughs> so he had to wrestle with so he had that like phantom the phantom of the opera, opera. yeah look he was very he was purple more than black he had this like kind of trying to be a good guy and there was like a tim burns batman yes. influenced 
Yes. Yeah. So you asked, like, how did you make a dead man a good guy? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's right. You know, what one good way to do it is, you know, hey, uh, you know, he sustains a, a catastrophic injury in real life and 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 um, appears sympathetic. <laughs> uh, um, but that's also, you know, the, ultimately the real performer contributes to that narrative because he's continuing to compete. He was willing to continue to compete, to, you know, even though he's he's hurt. So there's yeah. so many. It's not all just a contrivance, you know. There has to, and I think, you know, and on some level, fans sort of knew that they were seeing someone who was, you know, who still wanted to show up to work and like that. And that was, you know, you can't help but be. Um, that is that is ultimately a, a heroic thing. Right. Yeah. So when he's going through that phase, I mean, that's when I mean the streak starts technically with his first WrestleMania, because that's his first win. But going through, that's when he gets, like, the, the majority of his... That's when people start building towards the streak. And I always found it fascinating that... Not all of, but, like, the early WrestleMania opponents were all pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you mentioned that before we talked, and I was thinking, yeah. wow, yeah, they really did fucking tee them up. Yeah, well, the first one was Jimmy Snuka, who, in 1991, was not the Jimmy Snuka that was 1980, 1984 Jimmy Snuka. He was already a likely murderer. But, yes. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they put the dead man in the ring with a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. And now, and now, like in a sick way, you know, you, Attitude Era, you could think, oh, Attitude Era WWE would have actually made that part of the narrative, you know? Oh, Attitude Era would bring up the, the girlfriend thing. Right. Say she's in the earth, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to be offensive about that. I'm just, no, I mean. I'm sorry. I'm getting it's off. It's not offensive. I don't think it's offensive at all. But look, we're talking about a profession where it, it, it's kind of died down now. But one of the prevalent storylines the last year has been Jeff Hardy's drinking and substance abuse problems, which he really genuinely right. has. Right. So I'm. Uh, yeah. So we're pulling from real life. I'm, I, mean, I, I would hope it's clear that I'm commenting on, on the WWE's, you know. Um, right. Now, murder you know, a little stuff. bit, but, you know, I mean, they've done worse with murder, not actual murder, but they've done worse with murder. Correct. Yeah, so. I'm sorry. That's okay, no, so so he's in he's in the ring with Snooker the first time. Then I think it goes, let me look, I think it was, uh, then Giant Gonzalez, which <sighs> I don't think anyone's ever forgiven the WWE for. <laughs> And what a weird, like it, his, you know, the way he was portrayed really wasn't anything, was, had nothing to do with his stature as a giant. They were, it was really this like crude kind of ethnic character, you know, but yeah. with this, with this hair suit thing, it was just mm -hmm. not, less said the better. One of my favorite stories that, uh, about Giant Gonzalez, have you heard uh, Jim Ross's story about him cutting his first promo? I, pro I probably, I, I, I don't recall. So Jim Ross tells a great story on his podcast, which I highly recommend, uh, Grill and JR. And so he's got to work with, his real name was Jorge, I believe. Excuse me, pardon me, yes. Uh, so he's working with him his first day doing promos and he's cutting a promo on Ric Flair. And so Jim Ross is coaching him through it, saying, you know, like, tell Ric Flair that you're going to be as tough as opponent ever to say what you're going to do to him in the ring. Talk about where you're going to be like, he guy co-coaches him up for like 10 minutes. So he's like, all right. And three, two, one. And giant Gonzalez is just like, Ric Flair, I kill you. <laughs> They're like, no cut. Okay. So 
you, you can't say kill you because like logically you're not going to kill the guy. And then where do you go from there? It's like, you, you, so don't let's, let's not go with that. Let's, let's try it again. And so they're like, all right, three, two, one. And he goes, Ric Flair, I kill you. <laughs> and Jim Ross is like, so right there, I knew this was not going to work. Well, <laughs> you know, in fairness, of course, it's not like he, you know, he having not mastered the language, there wasn't, he didn't know the, the different nuances for how you could express the notion of, yeah. of malicious harm. Yeah, right. Yeah. They said he was the sweetest guy in the world and he just kept getting passed around the CNN center because actually he was signed to play for the Atlanta Hawks. Right. And he was terrible and they didn't know what to do with him. So they kind of gave him to WCW. Didn't really nothing much there. And then the WWE signs him and puts him in a program with arguably one of their biggest stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and he was the worst seller of all time because he, oh, yeah. he, he he did the, you know, he, you, anyone can YouTube it. I mean, his incredible sort of like, um, silent film era, stum you know, stumbling and and yeah. uh, and reeling uh, with all the body language that you, that is impossible to ignore in this in this seven plus foot frame. Yeah, so so he's got to work with him in a WrestleMania match. Then he goes to King Kong Bundy, well past Bundy's like shelf life. You know, nineties yeah. again. Like he seems to get all these guys at the wrong time in their career. Like. And I don't know if that's more the WWE holding on to guys or bringing guys back for too much, but you know, Giant Gonzalez, Snuka, Bundy. Then he worked with Psycho Sid, who, you know, is his own kind of interesting thing. Like you know, so Undertaker had a lot of you know had his work cut out for him for many of those WrestleMania matches. It was sort of a legend killing thing, but they didn't really, but it wasn't really presented that way. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, take take it individually. They're just duds. Yeah, I, I you know I never really thought of that. Like he's the original legend killer, right? Which would then make sense though. Like he had a very long feud with Randy Orton, who did become the legend killer. So I kind of get the the legend killer of legend killers. <laughs> well, at least at least they've had enough respect for the um, you know the history of the Undertaker to not have him served up as part of Randy's latest legend killing spree when he you know we, when he took out Flair oh, and and yeah. Edge and Christian and all that. Which I did kind of enjoy, at least the payoff I enjoyed. Yeah, okay, payoff. I mean, you know, I mean, although Randy already not champion again, but that's let's that's a whole other thing. Yeah, well, we can we can uh, we can rant on that later. Yeah. Um. So, so he goes through the whole phase mid '90s. The Attitude Era happens. Uh, it's not really the time. Like everybody dumps their side jobs. There's no more Duke the dumps. There's no more garbage men. There's no more. Everybody gets real. And the ironic because they're in real life, they're still independent contractors, but they're jump, they're dumping their independent contractor characters. Right. Yes. They're jumping the side jobs to make money. They didn't have only fans back then, Kenny. They <laughs> make side money. They had to go be a baseball umpire or a magician. Yes. <laughs> Repo man couldn't uh, anally fist himself for, for an exclusive audience on OnlyFans for a $30 subscription. Yes. Or do a, do a cosplay. Although Repo man is very cosplay. If you think about it, <laughs> I don't know what he's cosplaying as. I mean, you know, not as cosplay as as his as his character <laughs> before that, which was more of the, you know, Hellraiser uh, <laughs> sex dungeon look. But regardless, yes, demolition is their own episode. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody becomes real, and the Undertaker becomes the American badass. Now, a, a lot of people, I'm not gonna like poke holes in this but a lot of people give the undertaker credit like only he could have pulled the gimmick off and he made it last for so many years but he's only really been the undertaker and he's had like really 10 or 12 different gimmicks 
or different like character evolutions. And the American Badass is one of them, but it kind of doesn't get shown a lot because, you know, he was not breaking kayfabe there, but he was being the real guy. Right. In a sense. Right. And so how do you feel about like people don't pay as much attention to that error because he's not really the guy who can control the lights? And- <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting how they pay tribute to it ultimately, you know, in the uh, what the hell was that match with AJ Styles? The, what do they call it? The Oh, the graveyard match? The graveyard match. I was going to say yeah. bunkhouse for a second. The graveyard okay. match. Oh, the um, bunkhouse stampede. That would be a good one. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I think that's... I, I don't know. That's a hard one to address. And that was also during a pretty fallow period for the for the product too, uh, even though they were still the only game in town and maybe that's not mutually exclusive. I will say this, I, I don't, I haven't, look, I haven't read the oral histories of, of everything that went into the negotiation of, of the American badass. I'm going to assume that WWE hat was finally asking the Undertaker to maybe start putting some other people over mm. and his his compromise was that, okay, if I'm gonna do that, I'm not doing it as the undertaker because that completely like shatters that, that character. I'm only gonna do it as this more kind of grounded human, <laughs> you know, person, this thing that's closer to myself that would actually be gracious and, and, and um, wouldn't do damage to the, to the myth of the undertaker because at some point we're going to want to bring that shit back and have him seem you know otherworldly and indestructible that's all i'm everything i'm saying could be common knowledge that that, that is the case or it could be wild speculation um it didn't resonate with me it literally turned me off i remember it actually just turning it off you know um but it but it uh, it made it possible to fathom that people like jeff hardy could get one over on him to get to the next place that they needed to get. And also working with him means you're gonna work the best match you've ever worked. So I don't know, I'm thinking about it very business-like. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they did one day just bring back the old Undertaker. I mean, one day he was the American badass riding motorcycles and the next day he was like, had these urns and he was, you know, able to control lights and there was lightning bolts and then the music <laughs> came back on and it just kind of like everyone kind of forgot that he was, you know, maybe, um, a guy who went to Sturgis every year. <laughs> <laughs> if the production value, oh, it says my internet connection is unstable. Yeah, it said mine too, but it kind of it kind of worked out all right. Oh, uh, boy, <laughs> Wi-Fi, why not? So, <laughs> I um, I think you know if the production value is there, it it can become this. It, it, it is it is a, a, a it is magic it is a, it is the art of illusion and it distracts you from what the, the the holes in logic and and all the things that make you an intelligent person and it's just like ooh lights you know but what we've seen instances in WWE but more so in other promotions over the years certainly WCW in the past where the effects the are more crude mm-hmm. and it just make it just brings down the um, integrity of, of everything. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just, I think WWE has gotten away with a lot that would make you sort of ponder and question and wonder because it just has the resources and the budget to do what, do things that are cinematic and, and escapist. And 
that's absolutely what his last match was, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be his last match. I mean, it was very cinematic. I feel like that's the best way he could go out because every other time he tries to, quote-unquote, go out, they're not the best matches in the world, and not always his fault. You know, sometimes, like, he was working – he worked the match with Goldberg, I believe it was in Saudi Arabia. That was like just horrific. Uh, lost to Roman Reigns, you know, at WrestleMania. So I feel like the cinematic version, if they were going to keep the character going, let's say they brought him back. He says he has no interest in it. But how long do you think they could keep the character going in these cinematic matches? Well, I'll tell you, the one thing that really kind of takes me out of the character of the undertaker right now is that he wears the um the mma gloves uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like you know the fact that he's like the dead man and he's also just like a vicious striker like i can't reconcile those two those yeah. two things but again you know the you know the undertaker obviously asked for little wrinkles you know to be you know to be incorporated when and i'm sure it's that i'm sure he has some some sense of taste or judgment about what is going to undermine the character and what's not but uh how many i mean first of all he's not going to be like we said the farewell is going to be this sort of ceremonial thing and he's not going to i don't know who knows with them i wouldn't put it past them to just all of a sudden you know throw a curveball in there and someone interrupts the, his promo and that sets up something for the next wrestlemania so yeah i don't know i don't know um t- your question's a good one uh i think at this point people it's taken on this this other life of its own it has its own afterlife appropriately where people are willing to see it resurrected i think again and again because it just is it's it's like when the e street band is going on tour one more time like oh here's my chance you know and and i didn't think i'd get a chance but now i actually get to say that i saw bruce springsteen live i think it's he has that bankability and and um and that appeal that's that's what i'm saying <laughs> so the, the one thing i that I want to touch on to to close all this off um in the past couple of years he's he was one of the last guys he was very protective of the character wouldn't do interviews wouldn't break character in person within the last two years like it seems like he's all over the place not i mean he comes as the undertaker but he's not being the undertaker how do you think that changes his legacy? Like, would you want him, see him go away and never address it? Or do you want to see the other side of the guy who's telling stories? And I think it's, I think it's frustrating because WWE control all to the end controlled his legacy has controlled his legacy as a journalist, if I might be so bold. Right. And as someone specifically who likes to be bold about the stories they pursue in wrestling, I had as many journalists have dreamed about one day, maybe telling the real story of the undertaker, but you know, WWE and undertake, were only going to let WWE tell that story and on their terms. And they were only going to share, um, you know, share him <laughs> on their terms. And that's, that's how it's been done. And I think the fact that he was so uh, tight lipped, even just a couple of years ago was all was intentional because they had a plan that they were going to um, do this their way and do it in a documentary series that they produced and at that point make them available to promote that documentary series and to promote what they were doing on Fox with Smackdown and um, and you know uh, he's their he's their 
uh, ace in the hole. He's their secret weapon. When and right now they're they are in a in a bit of a a a, a lockup for for wrestling supremacy, and and he's someone who can move the needle for them in a way where I don't know that AW or anyone has that has that one that one uh, what's the term I'm looking for? You know, that one uh, magic uh, bullet. Yeah, that one like ace that kind of well, I mean the WWE has a couple, uh, but those people don't really get associated. Like, you know, when you say the rock, the first thing you don't think of, you don't think of the WWE anymore. You think of the rock, the actor. But when you say the Undertaker, you don't think of like the uh, the hot ones that he did <laughs> recently. You think of the <laughs> WWE. But so let me ask that. That was gonna be my final question. When someone says to you, like if we play word association, the undertaker, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Weirdly, dead, which maybe show, which maybe shows that that it it really sunk in that like the the storytelling really worked, mm. uh, but that also could be just an echo of the fact that you know we were mm. um, you know we were talking so much about his his being synonymous as with the dead man, mm. uh, but I, I think let's say word association dead redneck. <laughs> uh phenom is that what you want dead, dead, dead no, just dead this is just dead semicolon redneck semicolon um you know you know legend uh streak mm-hmm. um uh sh- shadows shadowy i think that was such a big part of it you've never seen a and again because they had the ability to to make it look good and they had the budget and the production quality never seen a character that existed and lived in the shadows that way um in wrestling especially because wrestling was so all that big and bright and spectacular and 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 bold colors and um uh, not that there weren't characters that were kind of a little more gritty i mean you know the road warriors were gritty you know etc etc um so that's i don't know those are some of the words that come to mind um and as you said, maybe Sturgis. Maybe Sturgis comes to mind. Sturgis. Yes. Uh, obviously, we know my answer. What's going to come What's to your mind? answer? I mean, uh, traumatizing me as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old oh, boy. Oh, oh. I went to a funeral. Like, <laughs> I, can, I can literally see him, like, locking the casket with the Ultimate Warrior inside. And then that night, like, I'm not even kidding. That night <laughs> when I'm at the viewing. So, you know, when you're at a viewing and you go up and you like kneel near the body, I should also mention too, like this person that I went, th- this person was so far removed from me in life, which also made it kind of real. Like it was my aunt's husband who had passed away like years earlier. It was like his mom. <laughs> and like, I really had no relationship with this woman at all. So I'm kind of looking at this person who I'd only met a handful of times on this thing. But the funny thing was, so after seeing the the show that day, so I'm sitting there and you, you know, you go up to the, for anyone who's never been to like a Catholic kind of uh, viewing, you go up and you, you kneel next to the dead person. You say a little prayer or whatever like that. So you're literally right up on the casket. I'm looking around for the lock, because if you remember the undertaker locked me, there was a little key in the corner where you locked it. So I'm like looking around trying to find the keyhole, right. see where this might've been locked. <laughs> the giant, it almost looks like a key to the city, you know? Yeah, like yeah. and I was like, I don't see a key lock here. <laughs> so I'm like looking around. So it, it made it, it made such an impression that to, to this day, I, th- I think there's key locks on, you know, coffins and stuff. It's okay, you're Uh-oh. getting a second podcast. No, no, I'm, I'm yeah, right. 
I'm muting. It's that. means you're out of that's the call. You're out of quarantine. <laughs> I hope. Oh my god. Um, uh, that, that's that's the call. You are emancipated from your duties as a father and, and husband. So, I, no, I, I'm with you, and it makes. And I'm thinking too, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, who did someone did a character or a storyline traumatize me? And and I can't remember as I said, but currently, the fiend does traumatize my son, and the fiend is the heir apparent, right, to, to The Undertaker in a way. And I think that's in, even even the through line of they've clearly spent, spent so much time collaborating the performer and sketching things out and ultimately hiring, you know, Tom Savini, right, to do some of the, the, um, the work on the mask and, and really, really seeing this as um, something of a haunting, you know, uh, element of of w, you know of WWE broadcasting for for a generation. So that's all I wanted to say. So let's actually let's touch on that real quick before we we wrap this up, uh, because you kind of mentioned the Fiend kind of going the way of the Undertaker. You know, just character, not its character, but like it's like a character that would kind of last for a long time. Do you see another? character that could have a 30-year could could the fiend have a 30-year run i mean i'd be impressed to see the fiend become an anti-hero and i think that would have to be um that would have to be something i definitely see them doing a because we're all so tired of the sort of the the, the wrestling wedding but i don't think we've we've never i mean there is you know there was the stuff that went on with stephanie that was a whole different thing but the idea of the fiend and, and Alexa having like an our true, like unholy, consensual, unholy uh, wedding um, could could be something in and of itself. And anything, the thing when you have a character like that, there's a possibility of any anything, um, any one little sort of thread being able to be sort of teased out for months at a time uh, because it just you have to. It forces you to think big because the last thing you need is to make that character small. Um, so I think. Certainly, I think the fiend could be a character, be that character. Uh, I'm very curious to see how Seth Rollins endures now that he's had to kind of um, really, uh, uh, you know, I think water down <laughs> how we see him in the ring um, and in, in character over the last several months. And I'd, I'm curious to see in what way he endures or if he, how he endures. Um, I think Roman Reigns right now has made it, you know, fate accomplished, God forbid, barring any more, you know, health concerns for him, um, that he is now, he's gone to a whole other level of, of uh, a whole other stature. Um, and it's, and it's setting the table for him to actually really make the kind of jump and the, the transition that his, that his cousin has made um, into, into being, uh, into being a, um, something that transcends wrestling because he has such a mystique and an aura around him right now. So I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Mm. What about I, you? I, I can see something like The Fiend because The Fiend itself is a character. Like when I say character, I mean, it's uh, something kind of cartoonish, not real, not like I, I, I see a lot of guys having long careers, but using their name and then they kind of change as a person whereas the fiend is a thing and i feel like that thing can go for a long time especially because that thing has an opposite side who 
also is a character that can evolve. Like literally you can evolve two sides of one car- of one person. And one could swallow the other. And then that yes. could be a story in and of itself of like yeah. that other one being redeemed. Um, yeah. You could have the two sides of him literally feuding with each other. I yeah. mean, there's, there's endless possibilities. It could become essentially a slightly more internal version of what we saw with Kane and the Undertaker. Uh, and that could go on for years. I mean, it's uh, when you, but it's so hard. It, it just has to be the right, the right performer at the right time, right. the right idea. And um, it got off to a rough start for some people, but I think uh, on balance, I think it's, it's been a success and you're, it's a good point, right? That it's a thing. Once you create something that, and this is the thing about the undertaker, once you create something that is almost supernatural or preternatural or some sort of like sentient poltergeist, um, there are no rules. And as soon as the, as soon as the audience accepts it for what it is, well, then boom, then that's a blank check to do whatever you want with it creatively. Well, can I book you for 30 years from now for the Fiend episode? <laughs> um, I think you'll be out of by then. <laughs> hell yeah, and hopefully out of the house. So in like a, the bigger picture. Um, sadly, 30 years from now, I, I, as I can see myself as a retired 71-year-old, you know, grandfather, still just wanting to market myself as an <laughs> as a wrestling authority so 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 that's, that's a yes that's, that's a long yes right yeah that's a long yes cool we'll, we'll do it kenny <laughs> thanks man uh oh wait real quick before oh, uh, plug anything you want oh, uh well i should say so i've got this podcast i haven't put on a new episode in a few weeks because life's been crazy um i haven't don't worry i'm, I'm planning on on getting more content to now, but it's called Outside Interference. It's hosted by the MLW Radio Network. Um, you could find it on all the usual Apple, Spotify, whatever. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Kenny Herzog, where uh, you can uh, read me talk about how much I don't like uh, conservative politics and, <laughs> um, and and occasionally other things that have to do with other things. And uh, that's about it. Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Chris. And that brings another episode of Not About Wrestling to a close. Guests of the Not About Wrestling show stay in their own damn houses. If you like the show, please share it on social or leave a review on iTunes. And remember to subscribe to Not About Wrestling on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com backslash brobible and find the Not About Wrestling section. Thanks again for listening or watching. And see you all next week. Well, I won't, I won't see you at all. You know what I mean.